very warm welcome to another edition of our Ponce Veteran Leaders Experience, uh, Fragrance of Business. Uh, today, we are indeed blessed to have uh, my outstanding international speaker who will be talking to us this evening. On a subject which is hardly I never heard of the subject being discussed, spoken before. Uh, will globalization continue in the 21st century? So this topic has really received a lot of interest among the viewers who are going to watch this program live. Uh, now, without much ado, uh, I welcome all the viewers watching the program live on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and also our webinar, and also people who are listening audio. And uh, let me uh, formally welcome the distinguished moderator and the panelists, uh, Professor uh, Dr. Atul Vora, Professor of Strategy and Entrepreneurship, Ken Flagler Business School USA. And the distinguished panelists for this evening are Atul Vora, Regional Managing Director, uh, Solaria Holdings, Dallas, Texas, USA. Satinarana Ramurthy, Partner Head Infrastructure uh, and Government and Healthcare Project at KPMG Singapore. Kanan Sitaraman, Venture Partner, Five State Ventures. And Mr. Arvai Narayanan, Consulting uh, and Advisor. And let me have the privilege of uh, also welcoming uh, Mr. Balraman, uh, who is the former President of MMA and uh, former Managing Director of Ponds. Uh, he is the one who is hosting this event, Man began Idea began the Ponds Veteran Series, which has really picked up so well and eagerly looked upon uh, every weekend, Saturday. And now I'll request Mr. Balraman to introduce the speakers and also set the context for the discussion. Mr. Balraman. Thank you, Vijay. This is the 26th program under the Listen to the Ponds Residency, uh, which is uh, hosted on the Madras Management Association platform. Uh, Today we have uh, and the idea also came from him. From uh, This is Professor Atul Nerkar, who is also a Pons uh, veteran, uh, someone of whom we are very proud. Uh, he is a strategy and entrepreneurship uh, professor in uh, Keenan uh, Flagler, uh, the University of uh, North Carolina. In uh, uh, in, in the research, research triangle of uh, Raleigh, Dharam, and uh, 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 Basil Hill. And uh, Professor Nerkar has been a prolific uh, writer and researcher. And uh, we, amongst this very, very difficult schedule post COVID, uh, we have been able to uh, catch him to do this for you. And we are very, very happy about that. Welcome. Uh, Atul, Professor Nirkar. We also have another Atul, which is Atul Vora, one of those Pons veterans who have been with me in the 1970s at Pons India Limited in Chennai. And after leaving us, he went to Citibank and then he's now with Solera Holdings in Dallas, Texas as Regional Managing Director. And we also have with us Kandan Sitara, uh, who was with uh, Pawns and then with Levers, and now he's a venture capitalist. Uh, we, uh, he's venture partner with Fireside Ventures. And we also have with us uh, Satyanarayan and Ramamurthy of KPMG Singapore. And uh, he's a chartered accountant and an MBA. And uh, we also have uh, the fourth panelist. Uh, Rajagopalan again Arayanan from Dubai. You would notice that uh, for this particular program, 
considering the subject, which is uh, will globalization continue in the 21st century? We have speakers from United States of America, from uh, Dubai, from Singapore, and India to give you as wide a perspective as possible. Uh, globalization was initially uh, pushed by multinationals in the Western markets. They pushed it with the agenda that if markets of the world open up for their product, their profits will grow and this can be well. But what started as with that commercial motive brought with it some hints of other benefits of globalization. There are pro many things that uh, the globe has to face uh, uni uni uniformly and uh, in a unified fashion. There are problems such as uh, a pandemic like COVID, uh, which require a global uh, response and a global control. Uh, uh, and this is not the first pandemic, nor will it be the last. So the globe has no choice but to work together, to, but to work as one in order to meet such uh, uh, potential calamities. Uh, there are also other imperatives for the world to come together as one and meet. Peace in the world, for example, is something that is that has to be a global objective, singular objective. Develop social development, economic development, poverty alleviation, uh, women's upliftment. Uh, all these require a global focus. And very, one very, very important uh, uh, agenda point on this is uh, uh, the challenge of the climate. So we as a globe are damaging our environment, being very irresponsible in its use. Uh, Sometimes I even think that uh, the coronavirus is, a, is nature's response to control global population. Since our population, in my, to my knowledge, had gone up from 3 billion uh, worldwide to 7.7 billion. It has to slow down somewhere. It, uh, the globe obviously cannot handle uh, 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 so much exploitation by man. It is not just the population. It is the way we exploit the natural resources with no thought for the future generations. So it, I, I personally think that uh, yeah, global unification, global unified thought process, a unified uh, action process is, a, is something that is an imperative for us. However, the, each of the speaker here will give you their own version of what they think is the meaning of globalization, whether it will continue, whether it should continue, and what will it take, what form it will take. I, for one, think that uh, there is no process anywhere in the world that will go unhindered, unchallenged. Every new process will bring problems for someone, opportunities for some. If we are to think that uh, global markets can open up to global competition without some parts of the world suffering the pangs of competition, suffering close-risk factories, suffering job losses, we are uh, really imagining something that is not going to happen. Globalization will bring with it its own problems in many, many parts of the world.
what is important is for the globe as a whole to recognize such problems and try and find solutions if we do not find solutions for the problems that a global viewpoint will create a global viewpoint will not cannot succeed it cannot continue so that is a responsibility we all have if we say that we want a green environment obviously some of us will have to stop emitting carbon dioxide sulfur dioxide and sulfur trioxide into the atmosphere and that means we forego many economic benefits so that is something that we need to be conscious of cognizance of and be willing to uh, suffer you know for a greater benefit to the world at large this said may you now invite uh, these five of whom i am very very fond of uh, they are ponds indians first and last and uh, a ponds indian is a ponds indian forever so uh, we are a very very tight knit community we care for each other and every time we get together there is a lift in our spirit a lift in our voice and enthusiasm and happiness that you will see so professor nerkar on to you sir thank you very much uh mr balraman uh and bala i mean i have lived long in america that now i've stopped mr in front i will give the doctor uh use it appropriately uh, whenever required but i think in this case i'm going to use all all first names so thank you very much first of all i want to thank mr balraman and bala for inviting me because he's really the moving spirit behind this and i think he has touched the lives of so many people and he continues to do with this endeavor of ponds indians uh a few points to note before we begin one is i do want to tell the audience who's watching us from all over a uh, group captain who to inform me that there are going to be a lot of people on different channels watching and i would urge you to put your comments into the chat box right from the beginning and in it's not we're not going to have a q and a at the end the q and a is going to be right through the session and i would urge you to respond brick bats bouquets whatever you want comments please put them up there because we're going to look at those and we're going to try and incorporate them in this session so keep that in mind slight difference from some of our earlier sessions because part of it this is a topic which literally everyone has an opinion on i mean if you talk about supply chain management and uh, you know ai a lot of people are say like i don't know much about it but globalization you bet everyone has an opinion and i want that opinion there So first things first thank you very much for inviting us and it's a pleasure and an honor and I think the reason I am where I am today as a professor is because of I stand on the shoulders of giants like Mr Balraman and many of my colleagues who have helped me in the past so thank you very much to all of them I wouldn't be here without you thank you I I think the introductions have already been done and I I think this is a topic which is really dear to my heart because part of it is that I grew up in India and the india that i grew up in was very very different uh you know it was a different india at that point of time you know the times of india which was a good newspaper back in those days i suspect like today people may agree disagree with it back in those days they used to run these editorials where they would say the indian tiger will be unleashed and sadly in the time that i lived in india the indian tiger was not unleashed as much today different story we live in a different part of the century we are in 2020 we live in a time of the pandemic and in spite of the pandemic we are here together so i'm going to open this up by asking my distinguished panelists to ponder a bit about globalization because it's a 
one of the jargons which has been there forever. It was a jargon when I grew up in India. It's even a jargon today. Because what does globalization mean historically? Has it always been there? Or if you had to go back and think about the world was flat at some point of time. No, no, it was always a globe. So let's go. I'm going to start off with uh, our friend uh, Atul Vora. You know, I have to go to Atul. Come on. No, it's my name. I have to be, you know, show some bias towards my name. So uh, Atul Vora, and again, you know, we Americans, we love America. We don't like uh, you know, the other stuff, right? So Atul Vora, over to you. Uh, Atul, we're going to kick this up. What do you think when you look back? And I think you, you know, you've been a professor. You, you, I think I was looking at a profile. You've lived in something like gazillion countries. Hungary, you name it, been there. Greece, been there, done that, everything. What's your view of globalization? Looking backwards, not looking today. Has, has it helped? How would you define it? Over to you. You're unmute yourself, uh, Professor Rora. Can you please request to unmute? Atul, you'll have to unmute yourself. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, Atul. First of all, I love the confusion. People think I'm Atul Nerkar. That's how nice is that? <laughs> That's one of the benefits of globalization. Second, a clarification. It's 6.30 in the morning. So this is bed tea, not whiskey. <laughs> uh, for everybody watching. But listen, I'm delighted to be here. And um, I have indeed, uh, I've lost count, but I think I've worked and I've had the good fortune of working in about 40 countries, living in about Oh, seven, eight. But my my big issue, my big thing about globalization in my mind is it's not about business. That's where we get off the rails. Globalization is a state of mind. It's a consciousness. And I know uh, I'm veering close to my other favorite topic, which I talked about here of uh, consciousness of the mind and spiritual consciousness. Globalization is like that. You, if you have, if you are human, you are global. And this so is hold on, man. That- I mean, Atul, I'm going to jump in here. And I think the reason I'm going to jump in is because it's a very powerful comment you make. And I'm going to build on that. And I'm going to come back to you. But I want to okay. go to Satya okay. in Singapore. Satya in Singapore, what an alliterative thing. Like, uh, Satya, you, you, your amazing profile is obvious to most people. Do you agree with this notion that globalization is consciousness? Or you think, uh, you know, you, you, as a you, part of a professional service firm, what do you think? What's your view? We've got one view, it's consciousness, it's mindset. I think um, to me, uh, globalization actually is about uh, economic interconnectedness. So uh, if I may bring it down one level, ultimately uh, in my my own experience, it's been a mixed bag. I've struggled to uh, kind of determine, is it has it been great, has it been bad? And I find it very hard to come to an answer because it's ultimately a matter of whose perspective. So if you take the perspective of the worker in the city, in the small town in China called Zhuangzai, which produces, believe it or not, half the coffins that uh, is used by Japan, 1.4 million deaths in Japan every year, 740,000 of those coffins are produced by this small town. If you look at it from the perspective of the worker or the owner of that business, it's been an unmixed blessing, right? But it may not remain like that forever. We can come to that later. That's perspective one. Perspective two, some of us Pons Indians. So I checked our batch uh, of uh, 10 who worked closely with me, including RY uh, and others. Out of 10, 
Nine now live outside India. Five in Singapore, four in Dubai, and only one PKV stays in India. So the question I would ask is: It's also about have we been beneficiaries of globalization? Absolutely, yes. But then I go on, and Mr. Balaraman talked about this: the perspective of the worker in Detroit who was earning two hundred thousand dollars a year, and all the factories shifted to either China and from then from China to Thailand. is now you know consuming uh, uh opm to to you know control his pain and that's a disaster the american consumer i'm going to jump in here because i like the two comments which you made which are really powerful here i like that example and it's it's powerful at stark about coffins from china for japan and i think i want to connect that because you said interconnectedness and perspective i want to go back to atul because i interrupted him earlier atul back to you Mm-hmm. the global mindset that you talk of what you hearing from satya satya says look when a person is dead in japan globalization comes alive to that person because the coffin comes from china does an individual living in any part of the world how can he or she have a global mindset when they have never traveled the world nine out of the 10 ponds indians are different parts of the world you've been in different parts of the world but how can you have a global mindset when you're living in dallas and you never left fort worth texas good question so first things first the reason i believe it's higher than economic interdependence economic interdependence is a subset is because globalization has existed long before missionaries traveled the world from india guru nanak dev ji traveled to saudi arabia and to various parts of the subcontinent to absorb the spiritual scriptures of the world so this is and and we know missionaries and the silk trade route which of course was somewhat economically driven the reason its mindset is fundamentally if you think of innovation what is innovation it's stepping outside your boundaries what are boundaries the national national state we know today was only created 1000 years ago if you go back 1100 years there were only 10 nation states that existed today therefore people stepped outside boundaries by definition you step outside your boundary that is what's innovation and i'll end with one simple example the india i grew up in was i was from a military background very happy middle class background but there wasn't even a concept that we were global right we couldn't travel but yet i consider myself global because we sought out the british council library we sought out the usis library we went to a missionary school so globalization doesn't have to mean that you get on board a 747 i could be living in dallas to answer your question and if i enjoy foreign movies if i enjoy eating different cuisines if i associate with people of different backgrounds i am global wow atul i mean so we're basically saying like you can be any part of the world and you can be global and you can enjoy the benefits but i was global the- living in delhi okay Well and I think there are people living in Delhi who are saying that look I'm facing the pollution effects of globalization and so I will come to that. Let's go to Kanan Sitaram Kanan uh, and then we're going to bring in uh, uh the in, in Rawai with, with a Dubai perspective but Kanan you you currently uh you've traveled the world also and so on. So we're getting two points of view here. One a more nuanced point from Satya saying yeah depends on the perspective you know where you live. What are you getting from Atul is a more optimist say globalization is fantastic. What do you think? Come on. Um Atul I'm a venture capitalist. So my point of view is about capitalism and how it works in a global context. 
And I have been in the Indian economy for, I don't know how many years. So it's really also a very much, not a global point of view, it's about an Indian point of view. And I go back to 91 when uh, India was bankrupt. And I was checking out the numbers today. We are sitting on 500 billion USD of Forex uh, reserves. So we are not bankrupt. And uh, our exports are over 300 billion dollars. And I can remember the days when the national exports was in single digits, right? So you could argue that globalization has been good for India, but my cup is not full. And I think that India as a whole has not really leveraged the possibilities of globalization. And therefore, when India decides it doesn't want to be a part of the RCEP, which is the sort of the Asian uh, pact, which has been, which is getting formed. I really wonder what India should be doing differently to actually engage more with the global economy. Fascinating. So Kandan, I mean, I think you're bringing in a very different point of view, which is saying, show me the money. Think like, hey, it's all about the money. Show me the money. I'm a venture capitalist. Can India make more money and so on? So you're getting two perspectives. I mean, three different levels. One, I'm getting what is called from Satya, an individual perspective. He says, if I sit in Detroit and I'm not getting it, I'm, I'm pissed at globalization. If I'm getting Atul Vora, Atul Vora says, it's all about the mind, man. You can be wherever you want, but if you're a global mindset. And Kandan says, like, show me the money. Let's bring in ROI. And I'm just putting you in buckets. I'm sure you're going to fight with me on this. And oh, back. Let's go to ROI first. Okay. Uh, first of all, thanks for everyone who's made this session happen. Uh, obviously, as someone who's been in Dubai for the last couple of decades and more, uh, I see myself as clearly a beneficiary of globalization, as, as Satya pointed out. And the fundamental core element that I see in the context of Dubai are, are essentially two things. One is, to a point made earlier, the concept of interdependence. Dubai obviously has recognized that it isn't isolated. It isn't a standalone entity in this planet. Uh, it is dependent on others and others are dependent on it. And that principle of interdependence is what dr has driven the growth of Dubai. The other element of, of Dubai's growth really is the fact that it has, it has embraced this interdependence over the last couple of decades and, and done a variety of things in the context of its own evolution to be able to get to where it is today, where it is, it is perceived as a location that has a lot of desirable characteristics of global stature. Pretty much not, not unlike Singapore, for example, like Dubai and Singapore have a lot of similarities in the way they've evolved. Singapore obviously leading the way and Dubai sort of following its footsteps in, in, a, in a variety of ways. But really the, the key things that I sort of would capture here are the acknowledgement of the interdependence and embracing that interdependence in the way you devise your own strategy. Great. ROI, fantastic, because I think you, you bring to close at least one piece of our puzzle. I mean, there are different definitions of globalization. I'm a professor. I live in Ivory Tower. I come out of the Ivory Tower once in a while, and I hang out with people like you and learn from you. But when I look at my colleagues in academia, I mean, whether it's Pankaj Gemawat at Harvard Business School or whether it's Joe Stiglitz at Columbia University, I mean, they've written extensively on globalization. What I liked about the way Satya, you and uh, R.I. put it up, or, and Atul, the way you put it up, is that there's a definition which I bring up as the interconnectedness of systems. And so when you think about Mr. Balraman's comment earlier, we are a globe. 
well, years ago, many people thought we were flat. We're not flat. We are a globe. We're interconnected. And that interconnectedness is something which you brought up, Arva, very well. I'm going to take this to the next level. Has the interconnectedness helped us or harmed us in the past? In the past. What's the evidence on this? Because the evidence in academia is very, very mixed. There are people who will say to you, it's not been good. There are people who say to you, it's been good. And I can hear from Satya, I'm going to take the middle of the road. But Satya, I'm going to ask you, come back to you and ask you, if you look at the evidence based on your view, sitting in Singapore as a senior leader, has globalization, this interconnectedness, and the interconnectedness has increased from what I gather, has it helped us or harmed us? Over to you. Take a position on this for us. Okay. If you ask me to take a position, uh, again, I would say it has worked particularly for places like where, uh, like Singapore because of strong government. And I'll explain why. I think uh, in order for globalization and the gains of globalization to work, its redistributive effects need to be managed very, very carefully. So, for example, if I am moving certain jobs uh, out of Singapore, which actually has also happened, because not because Singapore didn't want to lose those jobs, but because uh, somebody else got better at it. Vietnam got better at it. China got better at it. What did I do as a government? I actually stepped in and reskilled my workforce. I actually invested enormously in training. I brought up the skill levels in the areas like semiconductors where I thought there would be a lot of demand where my workers can be put on the jobs. And I then moved them into those. So from where I sit, it is undoubted that globalization has created enormous value to society as a whole from an economic point of view. Let's, uh, let's not worry about the externalities on pollution and so on at this stage. But if we do not have a strong government which is able to then reinvest those gains in a sensible way, uh, collect the right taxes uh, and then make sure that those uh, those uh, gains are deployed appropriately, uh, obviously we would have a problem. So I see it as being a positive outcome uh, from my point of view. So thanks. very interesting. So Satya, I know, I mean, earlier you were a bit more because I forced you to take a position, you said sort of net, net positive. Uh, this word net, net comes from my days at Unilever. I don't know, it spawns perhaps, who knows. Uh, I've, never, I've never lost this net, net. Uh, but again, uh, Satya, to your point, you're saying, yeah, you've been positive. But and Atul, I think you're the optimist in the group. You would, you would agree, right? It's just been positive, right? Or yeah. do you think? No, no, I, I look, I agree. And I'm deliberately being provocative, uh, taking my cue from my, my, uh, my <laughs> the senior Atul in, in this sense, not senior by age, but senior by wisdom. Look, I, I want to try and drive the point that the subject at hand is, is globalization dead in the 21st century? And, and my, my answer is it cannot be because it's like, are humans dead? Has COVID me- meant that we will all stop eating out forever? For a point in time, yes. But if you look at time as eternal, this is an unstoppable trend because it has nothing to do with economics alone. It has something to do with economics, but not alone. It has to do with spirituality. It has to do with 
man's curiosity. It's got to do with the cosmos. I mean, these are unstoppable things. The Greeks set out, the Indians, ancient Indians set out, and we will not stop this. And, and the by others, the way, we, we existed could, before the internet and before 747s. But so, as in progress, globalization, the interconnectedness that RY and Satya have been talking about, Atul, have they not caused problems? I mean, I'm getting a question on the web from uh, the MMA member, Satish. She says, COVID-19 is making significant changes. In fact, COVID-19 is a result of globalization. It is a consequence of globalization. And I, if you ask anyone today, would you rather have COVID-19 or not have COVID-19? They will tell you, no, I don't want to have COVID-19. How do you react to that? Atul? I, I agree. So there is the dark web. We all know that. But would we be ready to throw out the internet altogether because there is a dark web? Okay, I mean, so that's the point in hand. That's the point on hand. Nothing in life is an unmixed. Again, go back to our scriptures. There is no such thing as unadulterated joy or sorrow. And it's okay. done for a purpose. You have to rise above it. You've got to go, you know, take the, take the longer perspective. And the point here is these are challenges meant to purify us. These are challenges meant to evolve our thinking. You know what? Uh, it, uh, I'm going to bring in uh, Kanan because uh, Kanan, you remind me of a movie. What was that? I forget the movie, but there was a famous dialogue in that movie, Show Me the Money. And I'm going to put you in that bucket. Uh, Kanan is like, he's got a bit of a skeptical smile when he heard the thing. He said, look, uh, as they say in India and Hindi, Wo sab to hai, pe paise hai. right? Where's the money? Show me the money. Kanan, over to you. Uh, you know, Atul, in this whole topic of uh, globalization, there are 50 shades of gray, right? And you can pick which shade of gray you want to talk about. So I want to be careful with that, uh, that metaphor. <laughs> right. It's a movie. Which I would... <laughs> okay, back to you. Oops, sorry. <laughs> Over to you still. But I agree. I get your point. So, so my, my, my point of view is that um, I, I think uh, some countries have benefited enormously from globalization and some have been exploited, right? Uh, and that is creating um, a, 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 a pushback. And obviously, again, within countries, there are parts which have benefited and parts which have not. Uh, and therefore, again, that's creating its pushback. So uh, if, if I were to look at, uh, again, from an Indian uh, perspective, um, I, yes, I think uh, the GDP has grown. Yes, there have been lots of taxes coming into the government coffers, et cetera, et cetera. But what has globalization done to really build India into a, a global economic giant? Most uh, companies have walked into India and invested in India to exploit the Indian market. Is that globalization? If that's globalization, I think it's an inadequate, insufficient, incomplete definition of globalization. And I think. Can I jump in there? Oh, sorry, uh, finish, Kanan. And I think that there are uh, examples of various kinds, which is why I use that uh, somewhat inappropriate metaphor. Right. And I would think there are uh, the guys who came in and who were just uh, about raiding the Indian consumers' pockets. But equally, I'm seeing people changing. And I think this is really where the genuine globalization is coming in. Uh, and I go back to my former employer, Unilever. 
and the way Unilever has been thinking about its purpose and articulating how each of its brand has to demonstrate a purpose, how uh, Unilever as a whole has to drive uh, sustainability and how they are proving to investors that all of this is actually very good business. And that means when Unilever operates in India, they're driving that agenda, which I think is seriously good for India. And that's pulling up the whole world of business to live up to those standards in India. And I think that's great globalization. Okay. Great, so, great, excellent. So I'm going to we let Atul have a response to it because he's, yeah. he's a bit edgy. He says, I want to respond. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> well, partly because I miss my dear friend Kanan and we haven't had, um, you know, good, good debate sessions since we were together. Look, when you said, um, how has India benefited? It got my attention because I'm the one that had, that had the opportunity to build the NRI program for India. You referred to when India was nearly bankrupt. I, that was my job at City to arrive here, visit with Indians who said to me, Moraji Desai called us traitors for leaving India. Now you want us to invest in India. Three years later, we built a book of $500 million for City. And you know, the rest is history because we were only the tip of the iceberg. The cross-border capital flows have been what sustained India through its worst times. But more than that, it created bonds those same Indians started to invest. It started with simple fixed deposits and it's now investments. I was at the cusp of the Y2K and, and that transformation. It may have started as cheap labor. All of these things always have a starting point. But what it's evolved to today is India is the largest nationality on Microsoft's campus in Seattle. All of that is anecdotal, uh, Atul. I'm not looking at... No, no, at it's anecdotes. not anecdotal. These are facts. There are, there are lots of wonderful anecdotes, and I have no doubt there will be many more. You could talk about Microsoft. You could talk about Infosys. Or you could talk about many other uh, Indian firms which have gone global. But I'm talking about in aggregate. When I compare it to what globalization has done for the Western economies, what it has done for the Korean economy, what it has done for the Chinese economy, where do we put India? And I think that's, that's really my, my, what bothers me. It's, it's, there are, of course, these, these wonderful silver strands, which we can say is, is demonstrative of what the benefit for India. And all of it is true. Is it enough? Is it where India could have been after yeah. uh, 30 years of which is Which is fascinating, Kanan. And I think I'm going to bring in Satya. Satya is then trying to... And Satya and Arva, you're coming in next. Satya first, Arva next. Satya, I think the point is... I think uh, there's this uh, guy called Howard Zinn. Uh, I think I forget uh, where he's now, but wrote this book. And he said that until the story, until the lion can speak, the story is always told from the hunter's perspective. And so when you think about a lot of globalization that Atul, you're talking about, and Kandan is responding to, he's saying, look, it's great for America. It's great for the Western countries. It's great for Korea. Korea's GDP was worse than ours in India uh, for, for 50 years ago. But today they are part of the OECD. So Back to you, Satya. What do you think? I mean, how do you resolve this tension between Atul and Kanan a bit? Yeah, so, so maybe I was uh, intrigued with what uh, Kanan was saying about the West has benefited. Actually, in the last four or five years, the West is the one which has begun, turned its, begun to turn its back on globalization because they feel uh, they are being exploited. So you're absolutely right, Kanan, that in the early 2000s, when Western, the Western world was possibly, or probably the late 90s, Western world was at its zenith in terms of power. Uh, 
they had the intellectual property they had the products they had the ip and they were trying to sell into india and the so called exploitation that you talked about was happening uh but now thanks to what china has done uh, the west seems incredibly exploited not as countries but as societies so i think the 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 vivid uh, and i use an anecdote because there's best way the vivid story of a son of a detroit worker waiting at tables at the university of ann arbor in michigan where a chinese a son of a, a wealthy chinese businessman is studying tells you of what the reversal of roles in globalization so fascinating let's bring in arwa i think was dubai i mean you've been uh, in dubai for many years and from there you travel the world over to you arwa i think we've got to recognize one thing in this discussion right there are there are multiple players in this whole globalization story right and each player has not just a different perspective but also very different interests right and those interests sometimes are conflicting right so if you look at one category of player in this whole discussion it's the consumer i think the consumer is one category of people who probably is feeling much better off today because of globalization because what it has done to the consumer is provided him or her ease of access to world quality products and services at a reasonable price point now globalization combined with technology e-commerce and all that stuff has made that possible for the consumer today right so if you look at it from a consumer's perspective it looks like a pretty good story right similarly if you look at the corporations that deal with those consumers those corporations are obviously looking to deliver to consumer needs and consumer demands and consumer expectations and sometimes even influence those expectations and demands and needs right so those corporations also i think by and large particularly if they are the ones who are the brand owners have suddenly got access to a global market that's crying out loud for the products and services they offer equally the corporations that are at the other end of the supply chain that are churning out these products for consumers are reasonably happy so this That's is great arva i'm going to put you on the spot arva so you're saying consumers have benefited the capitalists have benefited that's great in general let me give you an example of whether this is good or bad like uh, i would love to hear i'm being provocative you know years ago when i came to chennai and i was at pons i used to go from uh, the chamri or the place we used to live in uh, egmore to tambaram and on the way there was this idli place uh where we would to stop and have breakfast and the idlis were like amazing you know like for 1 rupee you could get an idli back in those days today i mean i've not been to chennai for many years but i think i came like 7 or 8 years ago all that is gone there are pizza huts and mcdonalds and so on the idli places are gone is that benefit for the consumer there's no idli available but there's pizza available what do you think arwa well i think for the consumer the consumer is not driven by nationalism the consumer is driven by aspiration right the consumer aspires for a better quality of life the consumer aspires for what he sees out there in social media in the internet in whatever he sees on television and so on and so forth right so that's what influences the consumer's aspirations and if the consumer wants a kfc if the consumer wants a mcdonald's burger that's what these corporations are happy to give him and he has that sense of well-being of having 
having transitioned to a better quality of life in his own perception, right? It's not as if he doesn't like the idli anymore. He does, but he probably has that less frequently and has the occasional burger when he can, right? So it's about, I mean, that, that's the fundamental thing. The consumer, much contrary to how we, many of us would like to believe, the consumer isn't driven by nationalistic firm. Okay. The consumer is driven purely by his aspirations of what he at a personal level, at an individual level, wants to achieve and wants to consume. Fascinating. So again, I think I think I like this because it's bringing us to the next level. I mean, when look back, and I think perhaps we'll have an agreement on this one. So you look back, I think there's this notion of globalization interdependence and that interdependence has increased over the years. Has it helped or harmed? I think we got Satya to say yes. Pretty much all of you have been saying yes on NetNet. But I think I like ROI where you're going with this quality of life. And I think perhaps if I ran a vote just now and I ran it on the web, by the way, the, the people who are putting out on things on the web, I love that. Please go ahead and make that uh, statement and so on. But quality of life is something which has come up here. And I think net net, we look at it, the quality of life over the last 500 years or so, has it in, increased or become better because of globalization? I suspect it would be true. I'm going to go to Mr. Balraman. Bala, over to you. I know you've been sitting there chewing away and saying, I want to say something. Over to you, Bala. Well, uh, I... As you were talking, if I were to look at uh, all of you, uh, other than a couple of us, rest of us are not in India. We are in different places in the world. You, you are in uh, North Carolina, Chapel Hill, and uh, Satya is in Singapore, Atul is in Dallas, and Arwa is in Dubai. And not just this, uh, you asked Sitaram about globalization. His uh, one, his second daughter is in Boston. His first daughter married a Bengali, not a Tamilian. Now, is he, uh, is he becoming more global or less global? I, I, and look at Atul, Atul Vora. Where are his children? They, they, they have become American citizens. What, what happened to your children? They are American citizens. What about Satya? His son is in United Kingdom, right, Satya? Uh, so or, I do not know. Or, or his daughter is in uh, UK? No, so, she will be going to the US shortly. My son is in the US. Yeah, already. So you can see there is an economic angle to globalization. There is a social angle to globalization. You referred to, you know, uh, Italy versus pizza. And we are, Shanti and I had pizza for the lunch today. So... <laughs> Uh, uh, you know, uh, this the, the trends are the trends for globalization have been happening. Do, do you realize that Madras Management Association is no longer focusing only on Madras? Are you aware of that? Are you aware because of the COVID, we started having webinars and these are global webinars. Are you aware that we are able to get speakers from uh, United States? To speak to you know, a wide audience, not just in Chennai. Our webinars are now watched from Malaysia, Singapore, Burma, Sri Lanka, Thailand, uh, Bangladesh, Pakistan, uh, Middle East, Dubai, and uh, all of Southern Europe, England, and East Coast of United States, and even the Midwest of United States. We have audiences from all over. So we have MM Madras Management Association is something that is webcasting from Chennai. 
but that's about the only relationship to madras so okay this is great uh, in fact i think one of the things when i, I think I'm, i don't think we make a resolution on this bala but i think quality of life i would say that if you look back you know uh, gautam ahuja who's also expands indian and i remember having uh, lunch with him and he from kannad yeah and gautam and i are good friends of course uh, we didn't know each other when we were at pons but we would we both would agree that if you look at the history of humanity and globalization has actually helped you know in terms of all the things that atul you're talking about satya ka kanan and arva i think all of it would say human beings are much better off than they were 500 years ago because but professor nerkar has it come without uh, some price being paid by humanity no there have been wars before this wars are now getting resolved much better there there have been enslavement you know shiploads of uh, african have been taken to uh, uh, you know the west and enslaved for centuries but uh, i mean people have paid a huge price that absolutely has- and i think that they paid a price and i think that's where we we need to be looking at the next part of our discussion and i think this is i think i was looking at the by the way people who are putting stuff on the web on whatsapp and so on please continue to we are watching it and so on a comment which came up and i'm not uh, attributing it to the right person perhaps but what just came up was that globalization versus localization global versus local i think all of these are issues we want to discuss i'm keeping an eye on the clock bala we got 45 minutes more to go this is i think we could spend hours on this looking back we know what globalization one definition coming up interdependence of things communities systems people all over the world has increased great we know that as it improved quality of life yes do i agree with you bala let's come at a cost a bit yes let's look at today in fact today with pandemic covid-19 if i asked anyone would you there might be people who would say i would imagine for a minute someone who has lost a dear one if you ask them would you take localization at the cost of globalization if you could get your dear one back someone who passed away you can be sure they'll say like i don't want globalization and i think that's one of the things is that should we continue in the future and what will prevent us because as satya pointed out is that today the effects of globalization a lot of people are saying hold on depending on where i am i'm not sure that i want it we are going to the moon and the mars as well we are not stopping with the earth okay let's so bring in is, some so it is Bala. only globalization okay good let's bring in our uh, speakers uh, back in here panelists again we moved from defining it we sort of a tentative agreement that yeah it came at a cost right sure but we are in 2020 the us elections global elect, uh, presidential elections have just finished up uh in india we had elections in 2019 and uh, we had the government which continued and so on we have elections going on uh, in a variety of parts of the world we have populism rising up a lot of people are saying you know we don't want globalization Jeff Emel the former CEO of GE I spent we had the opportunity to spend some time with his team said globalization 4.0 is not good it's bad we don't know what globalization is going to be in the future so let's turn this over do you think globalization should continue this interconnectedness of people because if it's going to lead to all these harmful effects should continue that's the question here let's move there and a lot of people on the web are typing in and saying like how can we get it done well so first question should it continue and why let's go to satya atul kanan and arva okay so at the height of covid uh, a survey was done about reshoring 
you know the the whole idea on how you know the most visible uh, economic uh, edifice of globalization is actually this so called great interconnected supply chain right which everybody talks about which has caused uh, which has caused both prosperity and pain and so on and so forth and uh when the survey was done and i will attribute it it was done by ernst and young one of my competitors uh and uh, they uh they found that 83% of respondents said we want reshoring of the supply chain to happen we're work, we're thinking about it we are going to optimize our supply chains not for value but for risk and uh this was a response and this was in april 2020 at the you know when covid was kind of gathering steam uh, in some places uh, and believe it or not in october 2020 when the same survey was run uh, only 37% said they were going to reshow why what they discovered was if you are really going to do anything to this highly effective highly optimized uh, system one or two things will happen first you can't deliver to the consumer like rwi said at for value your costs will go up second you may not even be sure you can deliver the stuff and what kanan said earlier about capacity the reality is the world is begging india to produce people want to move out of china they want a china plus one strategy but the only country as we can see now which stepping up is vietnam so the question is you you can other countries which have the systems which have the workforce uh, which have the infrastructure can step up but uh, many many are not ready so my view is globalization at least in relation to this aspect will not only continue will thrive even in areas like personal protective equipment there will be a coalition of countries where there'll be strong uh, partnerships uh, between countries which ensure the uh, security of supply uh, but it will not happen in my view where a country will say i'll produce all of my stuff today that was a almost a knee jerk reaction to a situation which happened uh, as people settle down as countries begin to think more calmly about the future we are going to see uh, this edifice being built on not dismantled fascinating satya and i think i'm going to pick on a few things here because i want to i want people the other panelists to react to it and i'm going to bring in something which is really really topical because as we speak covid-19 has uh, ravaged literally ravaged economies across the world literally and there is a vaccine now and uh, as we speak moderna uh, the vaccine has been approved also there's a pfizer vaccine and there are vaccines coming up all over the world if i'm pfizer i'm headquartered in america what is my responsibility to the rest of the world if the american government says but well, no you need to be producing vaccines for us first and so this is where globalization comes in i mean you want globalization now what does how does globalization resolve this issue is a very important thing because who should get access to the vaccine should it be the wealthy nations or should it be the needy nations those are questions which i think come up because you are saying globalization will continue but will it be able to resolve something so fundamental that we are facing today who should get access to the vaccines let's hear some opinions from people 
you know, I live in North Carolina Chapel and I believe I should get it first because I deserve it, right? Kanan, let's go to you first. What do you think? <laughs> you know, I think, I think we're almost asking for a, a world government to kind of legislate this. We don't have that. So it's going to be a scrappy outcome, I, I'm guessing, Atul. But, okay. but I also suspect that it's not such a limited uh, sort of an outcome either. Because the fact is that people like Pfizer and Moderna are licensing uh, drug producers across the world to produce uh, vaccines. What we did in India is, for example, the Indian government stepping up to create uh, you know, greater capacity, both to store uh, the vaccine at uh, minus 70 or whatever is appropriate temperature, but also look at how best to, to deploy the vaccine so that the people who really need to get priority do get the priority. So I, I, I Kanan, yes. who should get priority? Who should get priority? That's the question here. The people who are most at risk, right? They should get the priority. And the people are, who are more at risk are clearly defined as the people who are the frontline health workers, those at uh, other parts of the frontline, uh, people like you and me, right? And a few others, I think, are clearly been called out as the guys who should get priority. And that seems to be the refrain that we are at least hearing from India. So truly, I, I'm not so convinced that it's going to be such a, a scarcity um, situation, uh, Atul. And Pfizer being a good corporate will figure out how to make sure that the maximum amount of vaccine gets rolled out in the minimum amount of time, right? Because they know that the other guys uh, you know, are at their heels. So yeah, I think it's, it's a competitive context which is getting built up. Because, you know, Kanan, the reason why I put this up as COVID-19 story is that this is something which I think Arvai talked about. And Atul, I think you, you mentioned global mindset. But I'm Unilever. And these are we are all connected because of pawns in Unilever, right? Unilever has always been described in the newspapers as the Anglo-Dutch giant. It has never been described as a global company, global as like, hey, they have, they're not global citizens. They're Anglo-Dutch because they're headquartered in Netherlands and in the UK. And so the question is really that from a corporation perspective, because finally we are here, we are a panel. We are not economists. We are all business people. As a business, what does it mean to be global? I mean, is my responsibility to India if I'm Unilever India, but Unilever UK says something else. I mean, these are tough questions. And how do you deal with them when you look at globalization from the future angle? And I think, Kanan, you gave one response, but let's hear. I do want to give another example, actually, Atul, of what I think is a very interesting way to to get uh, to globalization and be very uh, relevant. And I'm talking about here of a firm which is somewhat controversial in India, which is uh, Amazon. Um, When Amazon came in, e-commerce hotted up and everybody felt that this was disadvantaging the small stores. As you know, in India, there are millions of small retailers. Uh, and many of them organized. There was a political lobby, but Amazon continued. But I look at it from another perspective, actually, and I, I view this from my ringside seat as a venture capitalist. I see Amazon playing a huge part in enabling small firms to get access to consumers. And this was a huge advantage for the Hindustan levers of the world. And to that extent, at least, that playing field has been leveled by an Amazon coming in, an Amazon, a Flipkart, and many others, actually. 
So I see that small entrepreneurs today can survive and flourish in India. The other interesting part of what Amazon is doing is that they, they are a global network, right? And they think there's lots of stuff which gets sold in India, which should have a global market. Uh, the numbers that I heard last was that Amazon was actually enabling uh, commerce from India of the order of about a billion dollars. And they're committed to seeing how that can scale up very rapidly, actually. So I think for me, that is really globalization, which can take roots, survive and flourish. But the, 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 the reverse of that, and I think this is coming up, uh, a comment which is coming up on the web, uh, which Captain just, Group Captain just put up, is that there's this notion of Atma Nirbhar Bharat. If you look at President Donald Trump, he's been talking about, let's bring back everything to America. If you go to Brazil, you will hear something similar there. You go to the United Kingdom, you're going to hear people saying like, we don't want to be part of the European Union. You go to Hungary, you're going to see something there. And so the question is that what, how can globalization even survive when everyone is saying, I want localization. I want stuff to be here. I don't want stuff to be there. Make in India. Right? So let me so, just, sorry, no, finish, finish. Go ahead, Atul. Over to you. No, I I, the, to the, point I was, the point I was going to say is, and, and you know how much of an optimist and uh, in favor of globalization I am, but I think, and I am not a Trump fan, let me put it on the record, but but I think the pendulum had to swing because there was an uneven playing field. Why should we, U.S. taxpayers, and I'm a proud Indian or American of Indian origin, be bailing out disproportionately NATO and everybody else? I think, and, and why should we have this very one-sided trade deal with China? And, and the same thing in Hungary. I've lived in Hungary. I've been to Hungary back and recently uh, terms, uh, years, and understood the issue. Hungarians have a very simple view of the world. They say, we never colonized anyone. Why are we the ones taking in the refugees coming in from everywhere else when nations to our East and West are not? And that's actually when Germany started to open up. So look, I think this pendulum has to swing. And there was an interesting comment on the web from somebody saying, you guys are talking about this as if it's mutually exclusive. It's not. So globalization needs to coexist. And I think... Trump and others swinging the pendulum the other way, I'm not sure whether they actually mean abandon globalization, but they're trying to get attention that some of these things have gone too far. The inequity has gone too far because it's not a perfect market. So that's, that's the point. And I'm actually in favor of that because I think we got to bring it back to a level playing field. Okay, fascinating. I'm gonna, uh, Atul, I'm gonna pick on your theme here. And I think this will go back to what Balram and Mr. Balraman said earlier, Bala said earlier, is that the negative effects of globalization. Looking ahead, because you know this panel is all about will globalization continue in the future in the 21st century? And the question in front of the panel, we know what globalization did, the were costs and so on. Looking ahead, what are the costs of globalization we should avoid for sure? And so one of the things which I'm hearing from Atul Vora is saying, like, hey, I'm hungry, I never cause problems. I never colonize people. Why the hell should I bear the brunt? It's like I'm a kindergartner. I never committed the crime, but now I'm getting detention. My teacher is sending me out for something which my friend did, right? Why should I bear the brunt of it? So that's the argument being made. That's an argument being made in America, perhaps, on some of those things. So I'm going to hear from each of you. What are the discontents of globalization that we should be avoiding? I mean, to use Joe Stiglitz's uh, book title. Let's go to Arvai. No, I think I think if one if one 
talks about, let's take the Hungary example, right? And expand that to other markets where a similar concern has been expressed. One of the key elements of globalization is the migration of a very large workforce across the planet, right? And obviously that threatens incumbent you know, uh, job seekers. Uh, the fact that you have large numbers of people entering your economy, seeking jobs, potentially trying to take away the jobs you have because they are willing to accept a lower wage than you would otherwise have got. Those are things that do definitely you know, raise concerns for people. Uh, and that's something we've seen, obviously, in the context of, of the US as well, but also in the context of Europe, where you've had a large number of migratory workers who've, who've, who've come in there and, and, and uh, have caused uh, un unrest and, and disrupted the, the, the workforce. So that definitely is something that governments need to take cognizance of, right? And going back to my earlier point, I mean, obviously, there are different players with different interests. You do need quarterbacks who make sure that these conflicting interests are managed. And fundamentally, I think that requires two, two key elements. One is leadership at the nation state level that can actually think global. You know, we need global mindset in the leadership of nation states. But equally, to, to Kanan's earlier point, we also need a robust global governance model. We have the institutions. They just don't work very well. You have the UN, you have the WTO, you have a variety of institutions out there that are multilateral, which are meant to do exactly that, manage this global governance issue and make sure that all the players who participate in this, in this globalization network are playing ball. Fascinating, Arvai, but I think I'm going to pick on the first piece because I know you're saying global governance and we'll come to that hopefully in another segment. But I want to pick on this one thing, migratory labor. And part of it is that, I mean, I think I, I love Bala. He called out the double standards of us panelists saying like you talk about all of this stuff and all of you live all over the world with your kids all over the world and so on. The question, I think, is true. I mean, we are part of the elite. We are the one percenters. Let's be honest about that. Migratory labor. I mean, this is something which comes up a lot. And I think I'm going to go to Satya. Satya, because this is something which you've seen as a professional service firm. KP, uh, no, uh, KPMG does employ people all over the world and so on. And you move people. What's your view? I mean, is this movement of labor going to continue or with COVID-19? And there's going to be a different, I mean, is, it, is, is that something which should be curbed? Or is that something which is just a matter of fact or what? Okay, so let me tell you, uh, so... To me, I think this is one part of the globalization story which has already slowed down. And I think in the next few years, it's going to be slow. And let me explain why. I think uh, citizens of countries are wanting to hold governments to account on what they're doing to keep their jobs safe, particularly when there's economic softness. So you see this coming up every time there's economic softness. Uh, and in Singapore, this came up after the you know, GFC. It came up after you know, the elections in 20, uh, around 2011. It's come up now uh, in COVID, very, very uh, you know, kind of high amount of chatter on what are we doing to secure the jobs of locals, right? So I think one of the important aspects that is going to not keep at the same pace uh, is the job market. 
And the first thing that has to be done, we think, is governments have to show intent in ensuring that locals are not just employed, but they grow in their skills and be relevant for future jobs. So that is one very, very important aspect that uh, you know citizens are wanting to hold governments to account. Unfortunately, uh, this job was done by the unions in the 70s. And since the 70s, as we all know, since Margaret Thatcher, the, the state has kept on going down in its role. And until COVID came back, we were in the era of small state, right? Small government. And it's only COVID which has kind of brought back the idea of big government. But big government is not great for handouts. Big government is great for looking after the future of the workforce, the, the productive potential of the workforce. So I see that this is an aspect which governments will actively have to work on to change uh, their focus, build the skills of the workforce in order to make up for the shortfall which is going to come from lower migration. Not because uh, they can't uh, you know, bring more migrants in, because it's politically uh, costing elections if you suddenly increase the number of migrants coming in. The other aspect which I think is going to happen, particularly in the more developed uh, economies, is the use of technology. So in countries like Japan, uh, they, are not, they are not now, they are saying, oh, migration is hard. We never got it right. We're just going to go straight to robots for the old age homes. Uh, we, 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 we just may not need people at all. Uh, and, uh, and, and it's the same thing that countries like Singapore are looking at, right? Uh, essentially, how do I deal with the most, uh, shall we say, lower end of jobs uh, where I can avoid migrants? Uh, and and that has a point. I mean, let me push back a bit, Satya. I mean, one of the things is one of the fundamental tenets of globalization. And we've been talking about capital, which Kandan brought up. We've been talking about supply chain, uh, which I think, Arva, you were talking about earlier. We've been talking about customer benefits and so on. But if you think about human beings, right? Human beings moving across, you know, I think, as one of my colleagues said, uh, you know, when you look at a bird, which migrates from the Mexican border into the American side, does not need a passport to come from one to the other side, right? It just jumps over. No one stops it. Why is it that, you know, why can't human beings just move along? Like, hey, that's the whole tenet of globalization. Back to you, Satya. Yeah, I think I want to pick up what Atul said earlier, which is about nation state. Whether we like it or not, we are still in the era of nation states, right? Uh, Actually, before the Westphalian construct, the idea of a nation state did not exist. We had a bunch of global cities, which actually were the hubs of civilization, right? And they were the centers of power. Now, one day, maybe one day uh, in the next 50 or 100 years, uh, these cities will rise again and be more powerful than the nation states they're part of. At that point of time, at that point of time, because we know that By 2050, the population of whatever 9.8 billion as projected, 70% are going to be cities. The output and the productive potential of the world is going to come from the cities, right? At that point of time, maybe we can have uh, this conversation again. Okay. That's actually a brilliant thought. And I I really, that goes straight to my heart. I think what's going to happen is there's tiers of globalization based on economic strata. And, and people that are urban, you know, the cities of the world, 
are, are going to be united in one strata. And unfortunately, there is a strata that gets left behind. But it's all about time. You know, the, the whole hope is that in 100 years, and the last economic projection I saw was by 2077, India's per capita income. If you draw a line between Chennai and Delhi, west of Chennai, uh, India will have caught up by the US. Unfortunately, east of that line, we would not. That's great. I mean, I think, uh, Atul, I'm going to pick on, I think, I don't think we're going to get resolution on the human element. And I think that's a very debatable one. And especially as, uh, as Bala pointed out. Can I, uh, can I make Atul. a point on that, though? Okay, Arwai, go for it. I'm yeah. not going to stop you. <laughs> go I, mean, for it. I mean, of course, as a side remark, that that bird probably doesn't get stopped because it doesn't have voting rights anyway. Uh, but but besides, I mean, the, the issue on, 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 on migrant workers essentially is at two levels, right? One is the, the more educated, professional migrant worker like you and Atul and all of us, really. Uh, but then there is also a large chunk, and that's the elephant in the room as well, right, of people who enter markets on, on refugee status and then get into those markets and then seek jobs and not only challenge the economic uh, equilibrium in terms of job seeking, but also significantly influence the cultural identity of the markets that they enter, right? There is a significant amount of resistance to that that we see today, right? Uh, and it is, it is an important element of this whole migrant worker situation because it's not just economics, it's also culture, it's also national identity, it's also, you know, what do I stand for? And you've seen that in France and, and several other places on, in, in, the, in the recent past, right? So that, again, is, is a significant reason why, to Satya's point, this will probably slow down more than the other elements of, of globalization going forward. But I think this is, a, this is a perfect segue. In fact, this is where I was going, Arva, and I'll let you continue with the thought because I want to challenge a bit on this. Because so far what we've talked about with interdependence and you know, quality of life, yeah, we can see some challenges and so on. But the real, real costs have been on health issues, which we know for now. But the other one, which is the elephant in the room, is culture. And culture is this very nebulous thing. Culture and religion are so intimately connected with each other. And I want to hear from each of you as to what does it mean? Because, you know, there was a very well-known scholar, uh, you know, the end of history as we know it, Fukuyama wrote this article way back. And it's basically, it's going to be Pax Americana everywhere after 1990s. And I think essentially, if you went to any part of the world, and I think, Atul, you would know this because you travel literally every gazillion city out there you would see a Pizza Hut, a McDonald's, and so on. What you were seeing is the spread of American brands all over. And so the question is that from a religion and from a culture perspective, especially, what does it mean? Are we going to have one unified culture across the globe? Is it good to have one unified culture? Are we going to lose our customs? And this is that a good thing or a bad thing? What's your view on this, RY? Because I know you, that's where you were leading into. Yeah, I, I think it's, a, it's important to make a key distinction here, right? When we talk of globalization, I'd like to think of globalization as interdependence, not integration, right? When we talk about integration, you're talking more about homogeneity and therefore imposing one way of life on the rest of the planet. That's not what globalization should stand for. It should stand for interdependence on the basis that there are certain things that I do well, there are certain things that you do well. How can we work together to make sure that we get the best of both worlds and make this world a better place, right? It's not about 
but that's why the, you know the previous example that you spoke earlier about the, the burgers and the idlis uh, yes it's happening but obviously it's happening in a manner that at least people recognize it's happening and there are there are at least constituencies out there that are bringing it up for debate bringing it up for discussion and elevating the topic in the in the space of of debate and discussion like this one right and i think that's important that's useful to do but you are you're not taking a position i think it's a very difficult one and i appreciate where because part of it is that culture i mean i like your comment i don't want integration i want interdependence but integration does happen and i think customs get changed traditions get changed culture does evolve so is that good or bad kanan mm-hmm. you've been kept you quiet let's bring you in <laughs> no i i think that's exactly the point that i i was also building which is to say that uh, there are people who believe that culture is static i don't i think culture is uh, uh, something in motion all the time and uh, yes the more we open our doors to what's happening in other countries the way we think of ourselves our values what we think is important in our life these will change and should change right uh, so so uh, I, i i i see absolutely uh, nothing wrong in uh, culture change after all when we look at our own history in india there are so many things so many practices which were there uh, 100 years back which today we do not want to see happening in india would you call that out as a change of culture of course would you say that's a bad thing to happen no we would say that's a great thing to happen i mean i'm talking about things like casteism i'm talking about a whole lot of other practices which were which today at that time were considered very normal today we are we are bored those practices and you could argue that some of the the reasons why we changed is not entirely something which sprang uh, organically from within us it was also because we got exposed to how uh, people think about things uh, elsewhere in the world and uh, i think all of that is is very good for us to experience the way we talk about diversity in india today i don't think we're talking about that 10 years back and i think this is very valuable for indian culture to value diversity so i i think a whole lot of good can come out of it yes you could also have homogenization i think is a great point that arvind makes and that's something to to be careful about now again i think this is where the challenge comes up is because if you go to this globalization one standard thing you lose that diversity that you have at a local level which i think some of you have been commenting on the chat boxes out there satya over to you and then atul will close out with you because you are the optimist on this one i think <laughs> yeah i think i think uh, atul uh, you know one of the battles that has been fought in the last uh, or rather in many countries has been around identity so if we ask the question what is culture i think it is very closely linked to what you identify with uh and my my view on this is that uh you know many countries have tried to define their so called national identity uh and they are still in the process of defining it singapore is a young nation 50 years old was still in the process of defining uh, and kind of nurturing that national identity and as we assimilate more and more indians and chinese how do they uh, identify with this what is the singaporean culture i think there's an element of interdependence there's an element of your own space 
and there's an element of the shared space. The important point about the shared space is that it is common and you don't behave, uh, you know, in a way that offends your fellow citizens in that shared space. That, I believe, is where the cultural identity will be forged, right? That's that's one point. But at a more kind of subtle level, at a more, um, shall we say, entertainment level, Netflix is sort of defining the whole global culture today, right? <laughs> All of us are watching the programs that Netflix is showing us uh, rather than, you know, anything else. So, uh, I mean, that's where I'll, I'll say uh, we're, we're having to deal with it at multiple levels. And I think, I mean, this is where the biggest challenge is because depending on where you sit, and I think this is what you were and RY and all of you have been saying is that depending on where you sit, this notion of culture can be good or bad. And having Netflix is good or bad. Atul Vora, over to the optimist, yes. and then I'm going to go into closing comments. Uh, I'm going to ask a tough question of all of you coming up soon. Uh, Terrific. This- so first of all, uh, congratulations to you, Atul, because from divergence, you've created convergence. I mean, I think uh, I can get behind everything that's been said. And I agree with uh, Kanan, culture should be dynamic, it is. And I agree with uh, what Satya just said. But most of all, I agree with what you said, that Pax Americana has unfortunately, I say unfortunately, because it is, it has happened. And Netflix is the example. And I think the worst example of that is three shows that I watched um, parts of, Shahs of Iran, Bollywood Wives, and House of Ho. Terrible. All three are terrible because it just shows how uh, mindlessly we copy each other. And, and that's, that's the Pax Americana. Having said that, the optimist in me says there's always a renaissance. That's what the renaissance was about. And we had a Bengali renaissance and our 19th century. I believe the reason you see all this homogenization attempts, and now you see more temples, more Bharatanatyam classes in in, uh, the US than ever before, is that Renaissance comes in. And I I genuinely believe we're going to be, the world is going to be like a salad bowl. Each leaf, each morsel has its own flavor, but they come together. So that's my optimism. Well, well said. And I think that's something which debate gets debated constantly in university campuses. Are we going to be a salad bowl? Or are we going to be, uh, what is that, uh, queso cheese, which is all mixed up and so on like. But that's a, I think that's a debate which should continue. I'm keeping an eye on the clock. I'm going to turn this over to each of you for a one minute sort of closing comment. And I think because when I look back, what we've done is we've identified globalization in a different way, interdependence of elements all over the world on this globe. And we believe it has helped the quality of life. It's been good. There have been costs, as Ms. Bala, Bala, Bala pointed out, and we have been okay with those costs because we think net-net we have benefited. There have been issues, and I think on globalization, from a capital perspective, Kandan says, good, show me the money. From a customer perspective, RY and uh, Satya would say, hey, customers, suppliers, employees have all benefited. Culturally, we are dynamic. We want to be moving ahead and all of that. Given all this canvas that we explored in such a short time, I'm going to ask you all to put your thinking caps on and say, like, one, I mean, I'm not going to ask you to cite someone, but you, all of you read voraciously or watch voraciously things and so on, not just Netflix. What do you think the world should be in the next 50 years? If you had, because when I say 50 years, because I know human life is going to be there, but I can guarantee you none of you are going to be there you know, in 50 years. I, mean, I don't think I'm going to be there. Okay, you're not going to have. So in 50 years from now, the next generation, what sort of globe should they be inheriting? And I'm going to turn this over because this is your chance to provide a visionary sort of statement. What do you think the globe look like? And 
we'll start off we'll keep atul as always at the end because he like manages to bring everything together with optimistic view we'll start off with uh, kanan and because i know you come with the venture capitalists we will go to you kanan and then we'll go to rr satya and then atul kanan you get first dibs this time good um you know i i think globalization is 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 a powerful force for good and bad uh it can be for good when it takes into account the fact that there are multiple stakeholders and therefore good globalization is inclusive inclusive in in uh, including all the stakeholders in the benefits of globalization that's my take okay very good all right i think from my perspective two things uh, one and i mentioned this earlier as well in this conversation i'd love to see a more robust global governance model operating through the multinational agencies that we already have or the ones that we choose to form going forward that really helps to quarterback the entire initiative in a more meaningful way but also i think every nation state will identify its own relevance in this global stage right every nation state needs to figure out what it has to contribute why how it can be relevant in a global stage and and in that context devise its own strategies in terms of what it does to develop its own people its own capabilities and its own its own road map right and in that process i really hope that there are role model organizations that emerge in multiple nation states not just in the west uh, we have for example in india great role models in the space of it and it enabled services in the space of pharma uh, and so on and so forth right but i would expect over the next 25 50 years there will be plenty more role models coming up in each of these emerging markets that aspire that that inspire the rest of their community to get to where they have gotten to over these 25 50 years excellent excellent all right uh from ensuring that the goals are right to having the right governance we're getting some very nice uh, suggestions here let's go to satya i think um the biggest opportunity that globalization is going to afford in the next 50 years is to address the significant negative externality of climate change and pollution and uh you know a bad life that's been created for a large number of people beside a good life at a, at a consumer level i think what we we should see is dense population of people living in cities which have circular economies which essentially are net zero carbon which will be only possible when there is sharing of knowledge intellectual property across countries and across these cities in a way that you know gives people a good chance to both live a good life deal with their asthmas and their allergies but at the same time you know ensure that you know uh, people around the world have jobs because uh, and i think that the biggest job of that will be for the government i think governments have been sleeping at the wheel in many countries and they really have to buck up and they have to do their job so we're getting three things out here the right goals i mean i think kanan says i would love to have only the positive aspects of globalization nothing there 
We're getting from uh, ROI a lot of governance things. This is in multilateral organizations, non-government organizations, all of them come to play. And what we're getting from you is specificity in terms of goals. You're saying like good climate, good health, good mental health, and so on. Let's go to Atul, put it all together. What do you expect yep. 50 years so, from now? To be? Thank you. In 50 years, I believe globalization is inevitable. You know, the term we use in the industry is TINA. There is no alternative. Okay. So remember, Tina, I think that is inevitable. I am still at, co- at my core a consumer marketer, a humanist. And I think the power to make sure that the good is greater than the bad, because there will be some bad, is to vote with our feet, is activism, consumer activism. If we want to see more of Bandish Bandits, a show I loved, and less of Bollywood Wives, a show I found disgusting, vote with your feet. The TRPs will dictate that. If you want to see more parity in world trade, vote with your feet. Start getting actively involved with your local politicians. I think the thing we haven't done, I haven't done, and I'm sure many of us who are in the intelligentsia haven't done is activism. And what we've seen this past year with Black Lives Matter, with other movements, is activism works. And we didn't have to wait for Black Lives Movement. Gandhiji started that with Satyagraha. He gave the world a way to move forward with activism, populism. So my last comment would be, let's embrace globalism. It's great. It does have dangers. And the way we guard against those is through activism. Personal activism, not waiting for someone else to do it. Thank you. I think uh, to each of the panelists, I can tell you this has been fabulous. If you are a listener and you've been typing in your comments, we've not, we've not have addressed your comments directly, but we've been trying to do it because all the panelists have been told to watch out and so on. And so we've been doing that as much as we can. I think in a, as I summarize this discussion, I do want to let you know that the intent of the panel is never of a panel such like this is to ever offer clear solutions because there are no clear solutions. I think hopefully by the time if you've been listening on for the last 90 minutes, you should understand that globalization is a very complex phenomenon. And it's not a panacea, but it's not a curse. It's somewhere in between. And I think therein lies the challenges. I think the word which Atul Vora used was this notion of perfect market. And I think we would love to be in heaven. And a lot of time people say like, what is a perfect market? Well, everything is in equilibrium. And I think that's something we are trying to get to, but I don't think we'll ever get to. It's always an aspirational thing. And I think if you listen to each of our panelists, whether it's Satya, Atul, Kanan, or our our why, they're basically saying, can we become a better world? And as I close this out, I want to leave you with one last thought because, you know, I have been challenging all of you and I never revealed my own preference because I'm a professor. I should never reveal my preference, right? Never. I will leave you with one thought and people often ask me, what's your view on globalization? And, you know, I'm going to close out and I think perhaps this is the only time which has been done on the MMA panel. I'm going to share a screen. And I think, you know, this is, I grew up in India and I grew up middle class. I never watched the Beatles. I want to be clear. It's only when I came to America, I started listening to the Beatles. And the Beatles are one of my favorite uh, uh, group now, thanks to my younger son. And I'm going to play a sequence from uh, one of their songs, uh, which is by John Lennon. We'll play 30 seconds of it. And that will tell you what my vision of globalization is my as a personal person yes
I'm going to stop sharing there, but I think that perhaps summarizes a lot what we all would like as human beings is a better life, a life where we are all better than what we were today. I think this has been a great panel, and I think if you've joined in and if you didn't find the answers, I hope that doesn't put you off from globalization because you perhaps understood the questions better. On that note, I'm going to turn this back over to Mr. Balraman. Bala, it's because of you that we are having all these global events. Back to you. Take us home. Thank you. Thank you. Congratulations, uh, Professor Nirkar. You pulled it off. Uh, and congratulations, uh, panelists. Uh, you are all my sons, and I'm very proud of you. And I can see that uh, my pride in you is totally justified by what you delivered today. A very complex and a very difficult topic. Uh, we, we, of course, talked about globalization as if we have a choice in it and as if we can control it. Uh, you know, all along I was conscious that we are part of this uh, uh, stream, a huge stream of uh, blood that uh, is taking us all somewhere. Uh, in my father's generation, we were all in India. In my generation, uh, my sisters and brothers are all spread all, all over the world and I am in India. So globalization is uh, a flood that is taking and we are all floating in the flood, being blown apart. Uh, man has always wanted to move. Even 75,000 years ago, when uh, mankind came first out of Africa, they started walking north, west, and east. And uh, the, it, it is said that people walked to uh, the Caucasus Mountains, and from there they came to India, and from here they went to Australia, and so on. And similarly, uh, if Vasco da Gama had not started searching for what he thought was Indian, uh, the, the America of today would not have been found. So the, it, it has, man has always wanted to move around, move out, and today they are, uh, you know, uh, they are talking of sending uh, people to the moon and the Mars, and efforts are already happening. Uh, globalization is. Uh, something that is far beyond us. It is uh, happening in spite of all of us. And uh, the, uh, for culture, I have a different uh, understanding, a different meaning. Culture, for culture, I take the meaning of uh, value systems. Uh, man has only one culture that he has always lived by and won by. And that is continuing even today. That is being human. Being human, caring for the next person and uh, being genuine and, uh, you know, not looking out for the next man's property or wife. So that has been the fundamental value system even amongst tribes. And it continues even today. I think regardless of what we eat and what we drink and the way we dress, which are all superficial elements of culture, I think the humanness probably may not vanish. It will get reinforced all the time. It will be threatened, mind you. It will be threatened all the time. But I believe that fundamentally, like each one of you has said, each one of your, uh, uh, even uh, Professor Nerker said it in, his, uh, in the song, Beatles song he selected, we will 
forever be human you know nothing will change that and uh, with that sense of optimism may i warmly thank you and congratulate you and applaud you and uh, may I request uh, group captain uh, vijay vijay kumar to do the honors thank you thank you thank you so much is one of the finest panel discussion we watched just now uh, we have over 1200 uh, people are watching this program live from all our social media portals uh, as a token of our appreciation on behalf of president and on behalf of mr balraman uh, mma is pleased to present to you uh, okay. we, this what we do because uh, uh, you are not doing the kind of gift mark we all appreciate it uh, go around and present this to the people and this are i think till the vaccine really reaches uh, chemai i thought this is the best way to protect ourselves uh, from uh, uh, the the thank you thank you so much and uh, i just want to remind all the viewers uh, please uh, the feedback please do respond to our feedback and uh, see you on the 21st we have a women business council again pons veterans uh, how digital marketing can help startup scale faster we got three outstanding uh, panelists will be joining us uh, see you again on monday have a great weekend sunday uh, have a rest and again get back to us on monday evening at 6 o'clock uh, uh outstanding panelists uh, we have anusha shetty chairperson of the group ceo of gray and uh, kritika balasubramanian founder ceo of stoppers and kriti kriti reddy co-founder very very interesting subject please do watch uh, how digital marketing can help startup scale faster uh please do share your feedback and uh, all the viewers watching this program live from all the social media portals thank you so much uh, you are the attending with purpose to bring you some outstanding event Thank you, Mr. Atul. It's really, really fascinating to listen, you know, the way you handle the whole moderation. Thanks to all the distinguished panelists. Thank you, Mr. Balraman, uh, for really facilitating this, and we are indeed blessed uh, to have you uh, with us as one of the past presidents. So we are able to bring in some outstanding events, uh, which uh, will be a envy of everybody who is watching this program, other than MMA members. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Bye bye. Until we meet again. Good night. Over to you. Bye bye. Bye. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Bye. Thank you, Mr. Balram, for outstanding. Thank you, sir, Mr. Satya. Bye, bye. Good night. Hello. Nada. Listen. <laughs> Morning, Linda.